tonight we are going to be in 2 Chronicles chapter 1. If you have a Bible, you can open up there. We began 2 Chronicles verse by verse on Tuesday night. We did two chapters. And as we come to the text tonight, it is the beginning of the reign of Solomon. As we left off last week in 1 Chronicles, David has stepped into eternity, the great King David. His son Solomon, chosen by the Lord, is now the king of Israel. And as he began his reign, he'd gathered the people together. They had the animal sacrifices, and they were acknowledging the Lord, and they were, you know, they're going forward. It's, David's shoes are big shoes to fill, right? Like, it's almost like when Moses stepped into eternity and Joshua had to replace Moses. I mean, these are big shoes to fill, David. And Solomon's the guy, and he's, he's the king, and it's, it's time. And it's going forward in a new generation. And thereafter, he offered up all those sacrifices. In chapter 1, verse 7, we read this account, and we harmonize it with 1 Kings, where we're told it was in a dream that the Lord appeared to Solomon. And this is what happened. On that night, God appeared to Solomon and said to him, Ask, what shall I give you? And Solomon said to God, You have shown great mercy to David, my father, and have made me king in his place. Now, O Lord, O Lord God, let your promise, promises to David, my father, be established, for you have made me king over the people like the dust of the earth in multitude. Now give me wisdom and knowledge that I may go out and come in before this people, for who can judge this great people of yours? Then God said to Solomon, Because this was in your heart, and you've not asked riches or wealth or honor or the life of your enemies, nor have you asked long life, but have asked wisdom and knowledge for yourself that you may judge over my people, judge my people over whom I have made you king. Wisdom and knowledge are granted to you. And I will give you riches and wealth and honor such as none of the kings had who were before you, nor shall any after you have like this. So God said to Solomon, you'll have more wealth, riches and honor than any king before or after. And after him came about 37 kings and none of them equaled this wealth for the next three, 400 years, the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Israel. One thing that gets our attention, though, is that as those kings came to power, they would often refer back to King David and be compared to King David. King David, Solomon's dad, was a measuring rod. It's interesting because when these kings were measured for the next three, 400 years, they're always measured by David, who was not known for his wealth, but more for his adversities and his heart for God. Whereas Solomon, we know for his wisdom and his genius and the great wealth that he built. Which just goes to show you, as you go through the crux of life, the farther you get into it, the deeper you get into it in years, the more you realize how important it is to have the heart with the Lord in the possessions of the earth. Just point that out right away. Because we talk a lot about Solomon. Solomon gave us Proverbs. Incredible insight. David gave us Psalms. When you're a pastor or just a friend ministering to someone and going through a hard time, you might read from the Psalms to them and you might pray with them and pray a psalm. You might bring them to church and you rejoice when you're singing a psalm. But in the real cruxables of life, you don't really read from Proverbs to people. You know, on the difficult day, you're not really reading. Let's read Proverbs as you've just lost a loved one. You don't, you don't do that. You read Proverbs when things are going good and you've got a business plan and a model and you're excited and let's go make this thing happen. But this invitation from God, ask. Ask what you want. I'll give it to you. Ask, what shall I give you? Like, that's amazing if you think about it. In the universe of trillions of galaxies, trillions, and billions of people on planet Earth through which the whole universe revolves around, 
created in God's image for his glory. The God of the universe came to Solomon, said, ask and what shall I give you? Isn't that amazing? Like if we, if we knew some wealthy people that lived in Dana Point or in Newport or something and, and, they, and they said, hey, you know, ask and, you know, a, a really wealthy relative or someone like that and they said, hey, ask what you want and, and what should I give you? And you'd be thinking like, well, how about that house over there or this thing here or, you know, this boat or like we could, we could pretty, how about those timeshares in Maui? Like we could think of some things to ask for pretty quickly if we're thinking temporal and in the flesh and material. So as, as we think of this question, that's really an invitation that would naturally seem to appeal to our flesh. We need to really think about the answer that we would give. Because we want to put ourselves in this position if God said, ask anything and, and I'll grant it to you. And we want to put ourselves in that position and say, well, okay. But when we answer that question, we need to think clearly. Because as the saying goes, be careful what you ask for, right? We've all heard that phrase, be careful what you ask for. And sometimes we ask for something like, I didn't think it was going to be that way. If we ask for the temporal or the eternal. If we ask for the carnal or the spiritual. If we ask for self or for others. If we ask for the human things or we ask for the eternal things and the spiritual things. If we're asking for the businesses of men or the kingdom of God. It's, it's worth noting. Because if we ask for things that were just for pleasure, and there's a big difference between pleasure and happiness and joy, of course, we might move toward pleasure, and the younger we are, the more likely we'll ask for pleasure. But we that are older know that's not really going to do it. Like Jesus said to the woman with the well, drink from this water, you'll thirst again. There's just never, there's just never enough pleasure. But there's contentment in the Lord. Still, though, it's a pretty powerful question to think that God said, ask. Ask, what shall I give you? Because think of the source of the giving from. Again, if someone wealthy that we knew said, hey, ask, what you, I'll give it to you for my will or estate. You'd be like, okay. But there's a limit. But this is God of the universe saying, ask. And again, we also know in the human experience, we might respond based upon our needs. If we're in physical pain from an infirmity, we'd be asking for health more than wealth, right? Or if we were estranged from relationships that we'd like reconciled, we'd be asking for restoration of re- uh, relationships as opposed to temporal wealth. So we just kind of get the context of this where God comes to him in the dream and it, he answered the prayer correctly. He, Solomon responded favorably and got favor from the Lord in how he responded to it. And history shows that God honored exactly what he said he'd do for Solomon. But title of our message this evening is just ask, like asking of God. What are we asking of God? We know Jesus said, him who asks shall receive. We see this time and time again. Jesus said, you have not, the Bible says you have not because you ask not. If we abide in him, we will ask what we will and it will be granted to us. So in the context of Jesus talking about uh, the church and believers asking, if we're in the right headspace with the Lord and we're seeking the Lord and walking in the spirit, we'll be asking appropriately and properly the things that really matter even though our flesh might want this, we really know in our soul and spirit that this is what we should be asking for because in the long game, this is much better than short-term pleasure. Long-term eternity glory is much better than short-term pleasure, obviously. But human beings tend to think in the moment, not so much long game. But we do want to think the big picture, even as Bobby was leading us in worship with those songs and even how he prayed for us tonight.
So as we look at this, asking and what we're going to ask for, Solomon gave the right response. We see why he, we see what he asked for, and it's the right asking. And we see why he asked for it, and then we see something beyond that. So the first thing we see here tonight in this context of asking was what he asked for. He asked for knowledge and wisdom. Wisdom and knowledge. As he thought about his life, and he thought about all that was in front of his life, he asked for intellect, if you will, but not just knowledge, because there's a lot of people that have knowledge that doesn't mean anything. Even the Bible talks about people having knowledge and being puffed up, but not having love. But he asked for knowledge and wisdom, wisdom and knowledge. And what's interesting here, because this is on the front end when he's beginning his reign as a king, later on he'll be writing all those Proverbs in the book of Proverbs, and we see a progression of his thought processes, and this is important. Because as he grew in the Lord, and as he grew in his, not, in his understanding of the Lord and the word of God and how it applies, we see he added a word, understanding. Now, he asked for knowledge and wisdom, but as you go through the Proverbs, the Proverbs as a whole are summarized in the whole idea of knowledge, understanding, and wisdom. We can call that the big three. Knowledge is facts. Understanding is knowing what those facts mean. And wisdom is how to apply that knowledge and understanding for the best result or the best decision that you need to make. Now, in the world, in the world of success and business and how to be successful, some of the highest selling books of all time in the business world are sold and the secrets to success essentially usually come back to ideas. Or as we say, what you know is your asset, what you don't know is your liability in business, what in money, in finances, what what you know is your asset wealth, your knowledge, and what you know, what you don't know is your liability. So the bigger the decision is that you have to make with finances, homes, real estate market, stocks, and stuff, the more information you know, okay, having all the facts, okay, that's one thing. And then you look at what's going on maybe during COVID, and you understand the market's volatility and these sorts of things, and you're going to make big decisions. Well, you have knowledge of what the facts are on these things, then you have understanding of the times that you live in, and then you... You use wisdom as best you can. You make the decision. And we talked about this in the past, but if you don't know this, a lot of the, the big tech companies, even on the stock exchange, are based upon ideas. The tech bubble of 2000, 2001, that crashed 20 years ago, was companies crashing because they invested money in ideas, but they never manufactured anything. Like, they didn't have anything. They didn't have, like, tangible assets, like um, precious metals or real estate. It's just, just ideas. But people pay big money for ideas. People get hired for millions of dollars, believe me. This week, people are going to get hired for millions of dollars for their ideas. And you think about ideas, one of these ideas is going to make you wealthy. Or they'd say, write down 20 ideas, and the last five that are hardest to get, one of those is probably the one that's going to get you wealthy. This is how that, that world works there. Now, in Rich Dad, Poor Dad, more recent, over 20 million copies sold. That's a lot of copies for a book. 20 million copies, and mostly bought by Chinese, by the way, because Robert Kinisaka is half Chinese. Well, he's Japanese. The rich dad, poor dad's his Japanese dad, biological. The rich dad is a Chinese guy across the street, his friend's dad. And again, that whole book is based upon this premise. Stay with me, because it's coming back to Jesus and the glory. That whole book is based upon ideas, having current knowledge of what's going on, understanding the times, knowing the facts, understanding the times, and then making the right decisions. That's how it is. Now, 
Fortunately for the body of Christ, we're way above that and on a whole other level than that kind of thinking. Because for all that kind of thinking, it all gets left behind. It was not done as, if the Lord's not leading it, and the Lord's not in it, then it all comes to nothing. It's chaff. And we know it all gets left behind. So we come back to, that's what they're doing for the temporal. So let's think about us for the eternal. Because if the Lord asks you, what can I give you? You want to say, Lord, give me knowledge, understanding, and wisdom. That's what you want to ask for. In all, like, apart from being saved and being spirit-filled, but really like, hey, Lord, what? listen, trust me. Knowledge, understanding, wisdom by God's design. By God's design. I mentioned this before. Years ago when I was top 20 in the world in pro surfing, I was stalled in the, between 10 and 20 on the world tour. And I started going to these success seminars. And I, it, it costs more each one you go. You know, they, they stagger it. And you just keep paying more into the carrots out there. And just a little bit more and you'll really get it. And I went away for a week to Northern California. And there they gave me the book of wisdom. This was the keys to the universe. This is how Joey Brand's going to be the world champion. This is the difference between being 13th in the world and the world champion. And I paid 2500 bucks for that conference to go to that ranch. And that great book of wisdom. It was leather bound. Oh, man, there's no way I'm losing to Tom Curran again. Uh-uh. And I'm going to beat Tom Carroll and Sean Thompson, all my rivals. It's all right here. And then early on in that book of wisdom, there's John 14, 6 blaspheming the scripture, saying that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, but you being your I am is the way, the truth, and the life. And I always remember, like, oh, I mean, I was Catholic at the time. It's like, oh, no, no, no. I've been had. I've been snookered. Because there's anything that even a bad Catholic knows is that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, not the person in the mirror. And I knew I'd been had. Oh, but I had the book of wisdom. I held on to it for a couple years. It cost me $2,500. I wasn't going to throw it away right away. Man, after I got saved, I was on fire for the Lord in 87. It was in a drawer, and I pulled it out and said, man, what? don't repeat this mistake in life. Joy Brand, don't repeat this mistake in life. You look for wisdom from men. Don't make this mistake again. May you always find your wisdom in the Lord. And I put that in the trash can and said goodbye. So when we're talking about wisdom, we're not talking about man's wisdom. We're talking about the Lord's wisdom. And here's the key, worship generation. And it begins with the scriptures, because we know that all scripture is profitable, inspired, and it's profitable for correction, instruction, reproof, in the things of the Lord. It's like in Timothy 3.16, that we can be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So we know the knowledge we need is in God's word. And we know that as we read God's word, it's going to be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. And we also know, as David said in Psalm 1, as we meditate upon the word of God... Blesses the man or woman who delights himself in the law of the Lord. For in it they shall meditate day and night. They shall be like a tree that bears forth its fruits and its leaves healthy in all seasons by the water. Psalm 1. So we know for us in living a full meaningful life in time, space, and matter, plus for all eternity, that our knowledge comes from the word of God, not from unenlightened men. And it comes with the power of the Holy Spirit making the word of God alive to us as well. That our knowledge comes from the word of God, and that as we meditate and we read the scriptures and we think about it and we write it down and we muse upon it and we consider it and go back and forth and then we see it lived out in our life, there, therein is our understanding. We see these things, these things are true. We find that God is true and every man's a liar and we know that God's word will always be proven. And therefore, when we face our life decisions, 
small and large, but particularly the higher the stakes, the more important it is to press into the Lord. We're, we're standing on his word, the foundation of his word. We have knowledge of God's word. And whatever he's, wherever he's leading us, whatever he's calling us to do, it'll never, ever, ever contradict his word or his character. We understand that. So then he, we just let the spirit guide us and give us wisdom. We're told in James, if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask of the Lord and he'll give it liberally. That's a promise. So the big three is the knowledge of the word, understanding that. It's really like meditating upon it, considering it. And then wisdom is, Lord, please show me which way you want me to go on this. He wants to give those things to us in the power of his Holy Spirit, by his Spirit, to illuminate our thinking that we have the mind of Christ and the mind of the Spirit so we can be extremely fruitful for time and for all eternity. So all that God does through our life is productive for the kingdom in time, space, and matter, and fruitful for all eternity. That all the wealth God produces in our life in the human experience, real wealth, people, relationships, the kingdom, that kind of wealth, and even temporal wealth, that it, it ultimately goes with us and along with us for eternity. We don't lose it. See, all these books that sell 20 million copies, if the Lord's not in it, they leave behind $20 million. It's better to publish a book with 50 copies for the kingdom, right? If it's truth. I mean, everything's tested before the flames of the Lord for her holiness. The book of truth will always outlast the man's book of wisdom. But these big three, these are the things that we want to guide our life. The knowledge of his word, meditating, understanding his word, and the wisdom by the spirit to guide us consistent with his word to what he has for us. He'll give us the wisdom. He'll make the word come alive. We'll know how to properly apply it. We're told that to rightfully divide the word of truth. And of course, we're told by Paul that it's the whole counsel of God. I told Jennifer today, I'm almost two years in this current Bible I have. It takes me two and a half years to read through my Bible. And I've been doing it for 35 years. It takes me about two and a half years. I'm going to let it shape and mold my knowledge, understanding, and my wisdom of the way to go. And we all do well to do the same. He asked for the right thing. Body of Christ, worship generation, will always do well when we ask for the knowledge, understanding, and wisdom that God gives us through his word and confirms by his spirit. It will guide us in all things temporal and eternal. The second thing we see in this text is why he asks for it. So he asked for the the knowledge and the wisdom, the wisdom and the knowledge, but the big three is really what he found as time went on. But then why he asked for it, and essentially he said that I may go, verse uh, 10 Again, verse 10, that I, that I may go out and come in before this people, for who can judge this great people of yours? So he asked for knowledge, understanding, and wisdom, or in his case, knowledge and wisdom, to fulfill his calling, to be, to be a good king, and the responsibility of being a king, and he understood the magnitude of his calling, too much is given, much is required. But ultimately, if we summarize it, for him, we would say he asked, he asked for it because, so he could fulfill his calling and purpose in life. So he could fulfill his calling and purpose in life. When we're asking for knowledge, understanding, and wisdom from God's word, and the motive that we're asking for is to fulfill his purposes in our life and to be fruitful, then those are good motives, and those are things that God's going to honor. See, if you're asking God for ideas or knowledge or insight and understanding of markets and certain things, you guys have careers, you have jobs. If you manage a coffee shop and it's your own coffee shop, you're competing against other coffee shops. And you're the, you know, you're, you're happy coffee. And you're up against 
you know, coffee bean and Starbucks and, you know, Moon Goat or whatever. Like, well, Moon Goat was like David Yarley and, wow, he's crushed it, right? Like, I mean, you, you, you need to know the industry. You need to know, like, where you're getting your beans, where you get the best beans. You know, who are your best baristas? How are you going to, what kind of benefits, what does the law require you to give these people in the state of California? What's the variation of the law when you open a branch in Arizona versus California or Florida or Tennessee? Like, you need to know these things so you can shine with what you're called to do for the Lord. So we have a calling and a purpose. Our life has absolute meaning. You go back to Genesis 2, and I've mentioned this a lot lately, but I just it's one of those verses for the year. How in Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2, when God made everything, and he did, and he made it the way he said he made it, it says that when he made Adam and Eve, it says he blessed them. He's a blessing God. He said he blessed them. That was his heart toward them, to bless them in their dimension of time, space, and matter, in their relationship with him for all eternity, multiple dimensions. They had eternal life on earth without, undefied, undef- without defiled, decaying bodies. And he gave them a task. That there in that garden with the perfect man and the perfect woman, in a perfect relationship, they had purpose, identity and purpose with the Lord. They were given a task and a stewardship even as all of us are given a task and a stewardship in this life we have. And it's really, really important that when we don't, when we come, we don't know, we fall back and we do know, and even if we're not sure where God's leading us, what our career is, what the next chapter is, whether we're 85 or 25 or anything in between, it's still really important that we can just keep going forward with knowledge, understanding, and wisdom with the Lord, and then he'll guide us with what he has for us the next season, the next chapter, what to do. Again, I go back to Billy Graham, how he had to think outside the box. You go back to Billy Graham. He was a brush salesman door-to-door before he was an evangelist. He knocked on doors selling brushes. Well, actually, he took care of cows before that. He'd do the cows in the morning before he went to school as a teenager. He'd come home, do the cows in the afternoon. That's, Billy Graham comes from the world of the 30s, pre-World War II. First full-time employee of Youth for Christ. Billy, by the time he's in his 90s, he'd done that amazing crusade in Los Angeles where he preached for like 18 minutes. But somehow he got the idea to do a crusade on TV, in TV, with TV and online. Now, he had worldwide pictures. He did all those movies with worldwide pictures, his ministry that he had there, all those movies he made. But he had this idea to use the Internet for a crusade in conjunction with TV in his 90s. The the great evangelist was not done. And I point this out because the great evangelist, Billy Graham, reached more people in his last crusade using TV and social media, essentially the Internet, than any other one he ever did in his life. Isn't that amazing? Don't you think Billy probably applied knowledge, understanding, and wisdom to come up with that plan? That's a vision and a plan. Billy Graham, when he's in the 90s, like, this is how we do it. This is how we do it, the BGEA. The Billy Graham Evangelistic Association. Wow. So my point being that we have a purpose and a calling, all of us in the Lord. And even if we don't know what it is, keep working on the word of God, growing in the word, growing in knowledge, growing in wisdom. And, you know, pray and seek the Lord. And when you don't see things as obstacles, but see them as opportunities. And, and see what the Lord wants to do. And let him close doors and let him open doors. Don't be afraid to go through any door he opens. And don't be determined to go through any door he's closed. Grow and learn to recognize those things and know the voice of the Lord and the cadence of the Lord in in your life. It's so crucial.
crucial. Because the just shall live by faith, we walk by faith, not by sight. And the, the, Lord, the Lord wants to help us to be fruitful and successful in what he's called us to do. And he wanted Solomon to be fruitful and successful. And Solomon asked for the right things to be fruitful and successful in what he's called to do. If you're a king, you definitely need God's knowledge, understanding, and wisdom to lead the people. You need that more than all the wealth. The thing that served him best his entire life was knowledge, understanding, and wisdom. The thing is that God said, I'm going to give you honor. That's that same word that we talked about with the prayer of Jabez. Jabez had it. He was more honorable than his brothers. And that word in Hebrew means to like tilt the room. It's heavy. You tilt the room. Like that's the girl, that's the woman. When she walks in the room, she's like, she tilts the room. Everyone's like, whoa, she's here now. Okay, let's all listen up what she has to say. Like Margaret Thatcher or something, right? Like think of politics. You know, she tilts the room. Or that guy that tilts the room. That's what we're talking about. So he could tilt the room, and he had 300 wives and 700 concubines, or who lost track of the count, but, and, and he had all this military might and all this stuff. Those were his, that, that was his downfall. His strength was the knowledge, understanding, and wisdom from the Lord. God wants you and I to be fruitful and successful in what he's called us to do. And he wants to give us knowledge, understanding, and wisdom from his word, and discernment to understand the times we live in to fulfill that purpose. Because we do have a purpose. And he wants us to be able to think outside the box. Because God's not behind the times. He's in front of the times and he's over the times. And he is the times. I was thinking of Hudson Taylor, the great missionary to China. An amazing guy Hudson Taylor was. His legacy. Just, just amazing. But he went to China around 1860. So at the same time we're having a civil war in America. He left England to go to China to be a missionary. Colonialism was in full swing right there for the British as others. And when he arrived in China, he recognized that the Western missionaries lived in walls and gated cities. They lived very affluent where most people in China were very impoverished. They didn't go out very far. They were kind of like paid religious people, but not really like what we think of as people who really go all in for the Lord. And once he arrived in China, he recognized he t- he, he, the knowledge he knew he was there to be a missionary and preach the gospel. And he had a burden for the millions of Chinese that had never heard the gospel, particularly in the inland provinces. That was his passion. That was his purpose. That was his garden in Genesis 2. And he got there, and he's wearing Western clothes behind Western walls. And he's like, this is not going to work. And then he sought the Lord. And God told him, change your clothing. And he changed like the Chinese and dressed like the Chinese. And then God said, learn Chinese or Mandarin. And he learned Mandarin. And then he grew his hair to look like the Chinese. He grew the long hair like the Chinese had. Can you imagine the shock for the Western missionaries in Victorian era colonialism? They, they, they resisted him. They, they slandered him. They wrote back to England. Don't send this guy any money. He's all he's out there. Like he had so much resistance, but he was way ahead of the times. Because what's what's the times now in 2023? The times now is a Western church is sending money to native missionaries all over the world, reaching their own people effectively in their own appearance amongst their own people. He was way in front of it. Way in front of it. Knowledge, understanding, wisdom. How am I gonna do this? And when you kind of what you don't know, you fall back on what you do know. The, you know, the Chinese are saying you can't go in these provinces, it's too dangerous. There just comes a point where you know the word of God supersedes the governments and the mandates of men. And you just got to do what you know is right to do. And that's what Hudson Taylor did. 
That is inspiring. Worship generation, body of Christ. Just stop and think about that for a minute. Knowledge of what's going on. God's word and what you're looking at in your timeline. Understanding what the times are changing. What are we going to do here? Wisdom. What's the right decision now? And then you just go for it. That's the legacy of the church. We don't follow trends. We set trends because Jesus is the trend. Even when Christians, when radio first came out and some of the different Christian guys that were on the radio, they were attacked for, for associating with the prince of the power of the air. Think how ludicrous that is now. There was the fundamentalist church and even liberal churches, I suppose, were so against radio and when they heard people talking over radio and coming down the frequencies, they said, this is the prince of the power of the air. So Charles Fuller was one of the first people that used radio, and he was profoundly attacked in the late 20s for being in, in accordance with the prince of the power of the air, because he was on the radio. And I say all this, and I share these things from church history to inspire us to be able to think outside the box and not be rigid when we think about who God is and how he works in each generation. In the end... He asked for the right things, and he had the right motives. The motive was to fulfill his calling, and we want to be like Hudson Taylor, and, well, Solomon, but more like Hudson Taylor, that we want to be driven by the kingdom calling, and we want our skills and insights to be set apart for the Lord, that we can really be super fruitful with all that God has for us, whatever that looks like and whatever it means. He asked for the right thing, and he asked for the right reasons. And then finally, the third thing we see here is in verse 12, where he got more than what he asked for. In verse 12, God says, Because you asked for the right things, I'm going to give you riches and wealth and honor, such as none of the kings have had who were before you, nor shall uh, uh, after you have, have of the like. He got like this bonus. And again, I go back to that God is a blessing God, especially for people who take steps of faith. God, God can raise up, God can bring down. God can give, God can take back. God can do whatever he wants. And as we mentioned, earthly wealth just gets realigned and repossessed. It just gets redistributed all the time. Whether it's boundaries and acreages of countries or boundaries and acreages of properties within countries, it just there's an ebb and flow to the human experience for 6,000 years where things are always getting redistributed. And we think about things that end up in the, in the garbage dump I think, like, when we were back with David, and it, when they conquered the Edomites, and they got the crown of the Edomite, for some reason that really resonated with me. He got, when Joab and David conquered Edom, and they got that, they got the crown, he got a king's crown, it was like a trophy, and they gave it to David. So, this was the guy's crown. And I just thought, just this one thought, I wonder whatever happened to that crown. We can't even find the Ark of the Covenant, let alone the king of Edomite, Edom's crown. Which just goes to show you things that are so valuable in one generation are long forgotten within two or three. It's so hard to find anything of historical significance from even 300 years ago. They're hard to find. And if you can, they're worth millions or billions. Catherine became a Russian princess and then the queen. But in the last five years of her life, she bought all the, all the European art she could find from all the famous artists and put it all together and collected it, and that's one of the greatest museums in the world there in St. Petersburg, Russia, where you see all those paintings. Because those paintings are valuable because you can't 
<laughs> you can't find another Monet. You know, they're there or they're not. Or Picasso, right? Or Van Gogh. <laughs> There's no more coming. But how many things of great value are lost? That's what happens with these things, with, with earthly wealth and temporal wealth. A house that maybe adult kids fought over when their parents died in 1930 in Huntington Beach, it, that memory is long gone. And they tore it down. They built that beautiful three-story that Keith and I ride by on our bikes. They just finished, right? We drive, Look at that. Man, it's beautiful. Who knows who fought over that land within the family estate 80, 90 years ago? <laughs> so the point is this. If we ask for the right things and we ask with the right motives, if God wants to give you more, great. If he doesn't, that's fine too. It's all the Lord's. What we're told... Well, really, in Solomon's case, he asked for the right things, and he asked with the right motive, and then he got way more than he asked for. Let me say that again. He asked for the right things. He asked with the right motive, because God knows our hearts, so you can never fake out the Lord. And then he asked, um, then he got more than he asked for. And it kind of has me thinking about what Jesus said in Matthew 6. That we seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all these things shall be added to us. Some things are, more things are added to some people than others. And that might just be by just how it played out in their timeline, who they are, where they're at, whatever those things are. But since everything in life is a stewardship, we want to be super faithful with what God wants to be faithful with. And if he wants to give increase, if God doesn't give increase, let it not be because we're lazy and slothful. It's like in sports. Like, you want to, like, if you're on a team, you want to always be ready to go in. Swen Nader, the famous center from UCLA basketball in the 60s, he, he was, he backed up, he was the backup for, like, Bill Walton back in the 60s during that great run of UCLA teams. And John Wooden, in his books, who was the famous coach, talked about how Swen Nader just practiced so hard. He, always, he practiced against the best basketball player in the world, Bill Walton. It's either Bill Walton or, or uh, Lou Alcindor, who's Kumail Dojabar. It's one of those two. But he practiced against those both. They're both Hall of Famers. And he, he didn't get to start that much. And John Wooden just told him, be ready. Be ready for your time. Be ready for your turn. And there came a time when it was uh, his turn, Swen Nader. And he, he excelled and won a national championship at UCLA. And then he went on to a fantastic NBA career. And the moral of the story is, always give your best and be ready to get in the game and be ready for that moment. That's who we want to be with the Lord. All, like, we want to be, we want to, it's the water pots in John 2. We want to fill those water pots. Hey, if the Lord doesn't turn it to wine, that's his business. But once he turns it to wine, wouldn't you be kicking yourself if you only filled it three-fourths? See, it's that sovereignty and self-determination. And we only get one life to bring our very best with what we do for the Lord. To bring the hustle for the Lord, whatever that looks like. And to do well with the Lord. So we seek first the kingdom, and then whatever needs to be added will be added. And sometimes being added is a test. I love Pastor Chuck Smith's story. When the whole thing was taken off at Calvary Costa Mason, it was really, man, it was hitting gear in the early 70s. But he was asking God for a million dollars, and someone gave him a million-dollar check. And then God said, that's not your check. God told him, don't cash that check. Now listen. I'm just thinking, if someone gives me a million dollars, I'm cashing that check. I'm not going to stop at Moongo to get coffee on the way either. I am going straight to Wells Fargo Schools First or Navy Federal and cashing that check. I have ideas what I do with a million dollars, and so do you. Can you imagine being so dialed in with the Lord, knowledge, understanding, wisdom, 
that someone gives you a million dollar check when in the early 70s a million dollars was way more than what we consider a million right now too and God says no they don't cash that you can't cash that check I go so close it's like a foul homer in baseball right <laughs> isn't that foul homer in baseball the worst you know the foul home run like, oh no so it's like so close the, the million dollar check that you can't cash Pastor Chuck passed that test he didn't cash that check God said if you cash that check that man's going to want to run this entire ministry you cannot cash that check from that man and Chuck did not and needless to say Chuck got a million dollars from somewhere else oh it's all it's all a test body of Christ WG it's always a test but we often think that God because of sin and failure and of the past we often beat ourselves up for the past and we we limit and downsize our perception of what God can do in the future The greatest quarterbacks are great not because they remember the interceptions they threw last week in football, but they anticipate the touchdowns they're going to throw next week in football. And in baseball, pitchers are the same way. The best pitchers are the ones that forget really quickly what went wrong and just get ready for the next time they're going to go out there and throw, and throw strikes. But with the kingdom of God, because of our failures, we often think, like, oh, I'm just, I'm just so lucky to be on the team, not get cut, and, you know, like, but we're all, we're, all, we're all flawed. We all make mistakes. We all come short. So rather than letting the devil beat us up for coming short, we should be pressing the Lord saying, okay, well, that's, we all know that. Let's learn from this lesson. Let's go forward. Knowledge, understanding, wisdom. Let's go forward with faith and expectation because God is able to do above and beyond all that we could think or ask in his church for his glory. We just, we can't. Well, I find it very interesting that the principle in Mark 10 when Jesus said, it's hard for the rich people to make it in the kingdom. And, and then uh, somehow they got on the topic, and, and Peter said, well, you know, Lord, we left everything for you. We left houses and family and careers. And Jesus said, you know, whatever you've left in this life, you'll get a hundredfold. He said a hundredfold. By the way, a hundredfold is really important. It's the compound effect. It's, it's just zeros. A hundredfold is more zeros. And he said, a hundredfold in this life and the one to come. That's what he said to Peter. Now, my point being that if we just focus on the kingdom and we let the word govern us and we let the word guide us and we get about being faithful in our calling with the Lord, that we can trust the Lord and he will take care of these things. And then if he wants to pour it on, he can pour it on because we can handle it. The real prize of being able to be entrusted with stewardship that expands most people is not a acquiring of assets that can get left behind in time, space, and matter but who you became as the woman in that journey. And now you're able to be entrusted with that before the Lord. And the one that's faithful with few is entrusted with more. And to her who has, more is given. It's not about how much you acquired. It's about who you became in the journey. See, for me, it was always about being king of the pipeline, king of the pipeline, the most dangerous wave in the world, to be king of the pipeline, king of the pipeline. And it was all about that. But then I realized it wasn't really about being the king of the pipeline. It's who I became in the journey to be that person. And that's how it is with ministry. That's how it is with life. So I think it's just really important to realize that let God bless you and get all the blessings. Get every, get every blessing God has for you. Don't dumb yourself down from past failures or surround yourself with people who are negative and just are small-minded people. All the promises of God are yes and amen in Jesus. And some people have no opportunity certain ways economically, and that's just the way it worked out for them. Some have many. So 
if you live in America, you have way more opportunities than most of the world, and that's why everyone still keeps trying to come here. So I would just say, have faith, be available, believe God for big things, and stay on point for the things that really matter, and then if he entrusts you with more, good for you. Good for us and good for the kingdom. Because you can take it with you, and this is what I shared at Poncho's church last week in Montebello, and I shared it last week here, but it really, really has resonated with me. For the first time in my life, I've come to the conclusion, you can take it with you. Because we always say, you can't, you can't take it with you. Actually, you can. And here's how you can. You give it all away in Jesus' name. If you are so faithful with stewardship and finances and resources that you understand how you manage it, how you multiply it, because it's not about making money, it's about managing money, and you're so faithful, you, don't, you can take it with you when you give it away after and when you're going before you go. You can. Greg Laura will be happy to receive it. Voice of the Mars will be happy to receive it. Franklin Graham will be happy to receive it. You can take it with you. So get a bigger vision for the kingdom. And if God wants to do more, let him do more. But always stay focused in the knowledge and understanding and wisdom for the kingdom of his word guiding us and leading us. And always ask for the right things with the right motives because it's about people, it's about souls, it's about others, it's about the glory and the kingdom and Jesus being exalted. And then put yourself in a place with good decisions where God can just pour the blessings on. Just pour it on. Or as Pastor Chuck used to say, under the spout, where the glory comes out. Let God pour it on. And just enjoy the journey in time and have great fruit for eternity. Solomon asked for the right things. He asked with the right motive. And God gave him way more. And good for Solomon. And whatever God has for you, may it be good for you as well.